Thank you for joining us for our series through the Book of Romans. This book is full of rich truths about the Christian life, and we hope that throughout our study, your identity in Christ and our call to communitas are affirmed in you each week. Let's dive into the text. Good morning, church. It's good to be at Vintage Grace again. I think it's six years since I was last year. Your building has changed. You've built a good, big building. You're planting churches. Great things are happening here. To God be all the glory. I want to begin by thanking you people very much for standing with us as a family during the very difficult time that uh, my dear wife Margaret of 26 years and four months was called to go home to be with the Lord. And uh, I want to thank you for your prayer support. I want to thank Pastor Drew in particular. I remember he called me during that very difficult time when I didn't understand what was going on. I had so many questions and very few answers. And I remember he prayed along with me. I want to thank you, the Vintage Church family, for the financial support. You know, the, the event, uh, the unfortunate event happened when uh, Andy and Kathy were with us. So that kind of helped and eased uh, the, you know, the communication. It was quick, it was fast. And uh, you helped us actually give Margaret a decent send-off, a decent barrio and to that we shall remain always very very faithful may god bless you so much i also want to thank you always for continually sending to us pastor andy and madame kathy who have really helped us a lot uh, in training you know our, our leaders training the pastors we believe in having plural leadership in our churches so that has really helped us a lot to date we have 19 churches and all are still standing uh, I want to thank God for that because we've never closed any church plant. All the church plants that we have, have begun have just kept on going on. So I want to thank Andy and Kathy for the good sacrificial work they do. Coming to Africa it probably isn't the most uh, attractive place to come, especially the villages where we are laboring, but I want to thank them for, for their love for God and for their love for God's people. And thank you, Vintage Church family, because you are the people that send them. We appreciate you so much. Um, let me begin by explaining my T-shirt, because I was in Santa Rosa last weekend, Sebastopol actually, and uh, I was told that my T-shirt was a distraction. Uh, people could not listen to the message because they were trying to read the words that were on my T-shirt. So let me begin by explaining. This t-shirt actually is a t-shirt uh, that my kids gave me. They have a ministry that is an offshoot of our ministry. So it's good to see the things God is doing. As Pastor Andy was telling you, churches are being planted, leaders are being trained, uh, youth ministries are forming, you know, different giftings are, are being, uh, God is raising up different giftings among our people. So they have a ministry called the Sacredhood. And uh, these are talented musicians, so they play music. You can find them, they have a YouTube channel. You can find them on, on YouTube, it's the Sacred Hood. But they also uh, have uh, Bible topics that they discuss and they engage. Uh, they coined a, a term, they call it Bibleversations. So if you want, you can you know, just go there and you will see them actually dealing with you know, the things that you know, challenge you know, young people, they, they did everyday life. So, and uh, trying to find uh, an answer from scripture, an answer from the Bible. So, 
Uh, their mission statement is right here on the T-shirt. It says, set apart to inspire generations to find joy in Christ-like living. That is their mission statement. And uh, I think if you are observant enough, you can tell it's a bit similar to your mission statement. I think you as Vintage Grace Church, uh, your mission is to start joy-filled communities of faith, something like that. So you can tell, you can retrace the steps of Pastor Drew wherever he has been. They lent him to us for only one week and he made a great impression on our kids. And so here they are, passionate about serving the Lord. And to that we are most grateful again to God. This morning, I am going to bring God's word and we are going to read uh, from Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through to 21. And actually, verses 10, chapter 10, verses 13 through 15, actually forms our mission statement as Frontier Force Christian Ministries. When the Lord called us to ministry, I and uh, Margaret, uh, this is the burden the Lord had laid on our hearts. And we summed it up in those verses. We felt that's the reason why we were called to ministry. So I am so grateful that today I'm going to share something I'm really passionate about because this is what we have been called to do. So Romans 10 verses 13, it says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. But not everyone welcomes the good news, for Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. But I ask, have the people of Israel actually heard the message? Yes, they have. The message has gone throughout the earth and the words to all the world. But I ask, did the people of Israel really understand? Yes, they did. For even in the time of Moses, God said, I'll rose your jealousy through people who are not even a nation. I will provoke your anger through the foolish Gentiles. And later Isaiah spoke boldly for God, saying, I was found by people who were not looking for me. I showed myself to those who were not asking for me. So uh, this morning, my message, I've given it a, a, a heading or a, a name, which is the necessity of gospel proclamation. The necessity of gospel proclamation. So anyway, let's begin at verse 13. The scripture says that for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this is actually Paul who is re-echoing re re actually what prophet, the prophet Joel had said. But before we get to the prophet Joel, 
I want us to understand that Paul is an apostle called of God. He had encountered the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Jesus Christ, on the road to Damascus, and his life had been transformed. Later, the Lord had called him to ministry and had commissioned him to take the good news of Jesus Christ to the Gentile world in particular. But he was a Jew, remember? And so he had a burden for his people, the Jews. So when you read chapter 10, you realize that he actually is in prayer. He has a burden for his people, the Jews, who were supposed actually to be the ones to, to, to reveal God's plan to the nations. The Jews were the ones who were supposed actually to, to bring the Messiah. And not only the Messiah, but were supposed to be the ones to take the gospel to the Gentile world. But here we actually realize Paul is saying that these people had got stuck somewhere. They had been given the law, the law of Moses, which was a specific revelation from God. He had chosen them and given them the law for a purpose. God had given them the law for the single purpose of showing them his holiness. Showing the Jews his holiness. And also showing them their inability to fulfill the law. That's why God had also given them a system of sacrifices that they had to give, that they had to use to atone for their sins. Because there was no way they were going to fulfill the law. God knew it. So they were given the law for a purpose. But actually, the sad thing here is that we realize that the Jews thought, just like Paul had earlier thought, that in observing the law, in adhering to the law, in strict observance of the law, coupled with uh, following their Jewish traditions and customs, they would gain acceptance with God. They failed to realize that God had a plan. In spite of the fact that God had spoken through Jewish prophets about the coming of a Messiah, about the coming of a Savior, who would come at the appointed time. So, Paul, I can sympathize with him because he's caught in a conflict. He's praying for the Jews. He has a burden for them. He goes on to explain, when you read chapter 10, you realize that he explains to them how acceptance with God can be gained, how victory over sin can be gained, how salvation can be obtained. So to understand properly what Paul is talking about, you have to understand why he, he echoes Joel. When you go back to the book of Joel, chapter 2 and verse 32, that is the scripture that Paul actually quotes. He says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Joel had, had concluded his message in chapter 2 with those words. But he had begun speaking about the day of the Lord in, in verse 1. He had spoken about the day of the Lord, which the Jews were anxiously waiting and looking for. But it was not to be what they thought it to be. The day of the Lord, according to Joel, Joel told them that the day of the Lord is going to be a day of darkness and gloom. And he had gone on in verses 13 and 14, and he had urged his fellow countrymen, 
to rend or to tear their hearts and not their garments. He had urged them to repent and turn to the Lord. He had told them that there are two parallel avenues. There are two parallel roads. They run parallel to each other. One was judgment. The other was mercy. And he had urged them that if they would repent, if they would come back to God, then mercy would be available. So he concludes by saying, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It was also prophetic, as you may know. Joel, using his telescopic eyes, could also probably see into the future, saying, talking about the coming of the Messiah, that those that would call upon the name of the Lord would obtain salvation. So Paul, while praying, while having a burden for his Jewish people, and while communicating to the Romans, he makes reference to this scripture. He begins by saying, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So in other words, he's saying there are two roads. There are two avenues. Please take the road of mercy. Take the road of salvation. There is what God has done. There is what God has accomplished in our midst. Please don't stick to the law. Because the law was there for a purpose. The law was there as a guardian. It was there to lead them until the coming of the anointed one, the awaited one. But when he would come, then they were supposed to receive his salvation. So he tells them and he explains how, in verses 8, which I want to do, he explains how that salvation would be obtainable. And then he goes on. He goes on to... Uh, explain here in the verses that follow, it says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. Here Paul follows the statement that he quotes from Joel with four rhetorical questions. I was looking up the meaning of a rhetorical question and I went to the Oxford English Dictionary and this is what I found a rhetorical question to be. A rhetorical question is a question asked in order to create a dramatic effect or to make a point rather than to get an answer. Because there's no need for an answer. The answer is common knowledge. So Paul follows that statement that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's making reference to the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had, had encountered the Lord Jesus Christ, remember. He had been a strict Jew. He had just been like his fellow countrymen, stuck in the law, stuck in foreign Jewish tradition. But then something had happened in his life. His life had been totally transformed. He had been told to go into Jerusalem, as you know. Ananias had prayed over him. His sight was restored. And later he joined the church. And we see him later being commissioned. But Paul here now writing to the Romans. He tells them something so profound. He asks these four questions, all beginning with the word how. How? How can they call on him in whom they have not believed. And how can they believe in him 
of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? And how can someone tell them unless he be sent? And he says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those that bring good news. Paul at this point knows the truth. Paul at this point knows that nothing can atone for the sins of men apart from the substitutionary death of the Lamb of God. He knows that nothing can be good enough. He knows that God's righteous judgment cannot be satisfied by anything. Church, I want to tell you, even if I were hung on a cross, or you were hung on a cross, and you were killed, and you shed your blood, that sacrifice would not be acceptable to atone for your sins or for my sins. It would not be good enough because you are, your life is stained with sin. Simple as that. Scriptures say, for all mankind has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, God in his wisdom planned for a substitute, a perfect substitute, an unblemished substitute, an acceptable substitute to come, lead a perfect life, do God's will, overcome sin, and then come and die for us. This is what Paul is making reference to, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Calling in faith, calling and believing, that's why he asks the question, how can they call in the one in whom they have not believed? Not just calling for the sake of calling, but he says calling can only come about after they have believed. They need to believe in the substitutionary death of the Son of God because that's what atones for the sins of men. That's what translates a sinner into a saint. That's what translates a sinner from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That's what can grant you eternal life. So he says, how can they call in him on whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in him of whom they have not heard? He's showing the necessity of the gospel. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. Verse 17 goes on to say, for in it, in the gospel, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed unto the Jew and then unto the Gentile. Beginning with the Jew, then going to the Gentile. It is the gospel. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that gives hope to humanity. No matter which continent you live on, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that can give us hope. So this is what Paul is saying. And then he, he follows it with these four rhetorical questions. And I want to thank God for this scripture because it makes it very clear that it's an absolute necessity for each and every one of us to actually share our faith. He asks how. You know, God is the God of the universe, but he's laying down the processes. He's laying down the steps in which saving faith can be obtained, in which the substitutionary death of Christ can now be made, if, can, can become of effect. He says that it all must begin with calling in him, in him whom they have believed. And how can they believe in him? whom they have not heard. 
So they also need to hear. And how can they hear unless someone tells them? So someone needs to open his mouth and verbalize the gospel and communicate the gospel. The gospel has got to be presented in an intelligible manner. In a manner that makes sense, the mind of an unbeliever must be connected with the hope of the gospel. There must be that connection in order for someone to put his faith in Christ, his hope in Christ. So, he goes on to ask these questions. How? 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 And he tells us that how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. It is such a good thing. In heaven's sight, it is such a good thing for someone to traverse distances, for someone to walk distances, to travel distances, and take good news to communities, to people that may not have heard. And as if it is not enough, as if God's grace is not enough, you church, what I want you to realize is this. God is sovereign. He can do without these steps, but he has ordained these steps to be the way in which saving faith can be obtained. Yes, we know Paul the apostle, no one did share with him. Jesus, the risen Lord, is the one that encountered him and then threw him down and then converted him. But that was only in one instance. God has ordained processes. God has ordained steps that have got to be followed. And as if that is not enough, he then invites sinful men to partner with him in the work of rescuing the lives of men or the lives of humanity. Because this is an invitation. God wants to reveal himself. He has revealed himself through the gospel. Actually, the scriptures tell us very clearly that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is John chapter 1 and verse 14. And then in verse 17 to 18, it says, For the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through the Lord Jesus Christ. So which, which avenue would you rather travel on? Paul is in this dilemma. The people had been given a specific revelation for a season. But now Christ had come. The word had become flesh and had dwelt among us. And now it was up to the, the, those that had received the message to proclaim it. To proclaim it in a way that others would be able to receive it. Otherwise, men are headed towards judgment. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then it goes on to say, verse 18, and I can paraphrase. It says, those who have not believed are already condemned, already judged. Church, we have a task before us. We have a responsibility before God to declare this salvation to others, to proclaim this good news to others. The gospel proclamation is an absolute necessity. It is not a luxury. We are supposed to be engaged in sharing our faith. If I may just use a few other scriptures to drive my point home. In Matthew chapter 20, listen to this. Jesus talks of a parable in which he went to the marketplace and sought for workers to send into his vineyard. And the scriptures say that he got there and sent the first batch into the vineyard. 
Then he comes back to the marketplace around 9 o'clock in the morning. He finds others standing idle. And he says, why are you standing idle? They say, no one has hired us. No one has probably discipled them. No one probably has given them a vision. No one has prepared them. And Jesus says, you go into the vineyard also. They go into the vineyard. He comes back at noon. He comes back at 3. He comes back at even 5. It shows you the, mag the magnitude of the work. The number of workers that are needed in the vineyard. We can't afford to have some believers standing idle in the marketplace. We can't afford to have some, some people not involved in this task. We are supposed to be involved. Jesus has called us. He has qualified the saints. He has qualified those he has called. And this is so wonderful because we don't have the qualifications. We are sinners, but he has called us to partner with him in this great work. Second Corinthians chapter 2 and 5. 520 says that we are ambassadors. We are Christ's ambassadors. And he's appealing to nations. He's appealing to other people to be reconciled with God through us. That's a great opportunity. That is before us, church. Let's seize, seize it with both hands. Let's partake of what God is doing. Uh, when we continue reading, church, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse, verses 11 to 12 says, that God has given in the church, he has placed in the church giftings. He has given us leaders, he has given us pastors, prophets, teachers, uh, evangelists, and you know, apostles to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So it is the saints who are supposed to do the work of the ministry. The equippers are, are there to just prepare us. We have pastors here. We have leaders here. The Druze of this day the worship pastor and all these other team leaders that we have, they are here to equip us. And then we are supposed to go and do the work of the ministry. We are supposed to go out and live for Christ and be the living proof of a loving God. But we are supposed also to proclaim the gospel. We must live, be the living proof, but we are also supposed to verbalize the gospel. The scripture said, how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear unless someone tells them Someone has got to open his mouth. Someone has got to proclaim the gospel. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, Peter writing, I believe to the, to, to, to the Christians who had been dispersed, who were going through tremendous trial, tells them this, that for you are a chosen generation, you are a royal priesthood, you are God's special people. And he goes on to tell them that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have a mission. We have a mission, church. We are not just merely here to come, sit, and go back. We have a mission to live for God. We have a mission. There's a message we have to proclaim. We must proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's a joyous mission. It's a wonderful mission. Is it easy? No. Will, will all people accept your message? No. Nevertheless, it is a mission we've been given. Church, scriptures tell us that the feet of those that bring good news are beautiful. Daniel puts it this way, and I'll just go quickly to Daniel chapter 12. Just listen to me. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3. The scriptures say, those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky. And those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. And I was reading the footnote. And it said, many people try to be stars in the world of entertainment. 
and in the world of sports, only to find their stardom being temporary. God tells us we can be eternal stars by being wise and leading many to God's righteousness. If we share our Lord with others, we can be true stars, radiantly beautiful in God's sight. Radiantly beautiful in God's sight. Having beautiful feet, prepared with the readiness of, of the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 6, it tells us to put on the whole arm of God. And then he says that our feet should be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We should be ready, ready to give an answer, ready to tell the people that, about the hope that we have. We should be prepared to declare this message because it brings life. Church, our relatives, our family members, our friends are at the risk of spending an eternity separated from God if we don't declare the gospel because the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. Christ's substitutionary death is the answer. And God, like a master artist, had begun to try. He, he, if I can rewind, if I can move backwards, we can see a picture. God, like a master artist, he begins showing how he's going to redeem mankind. And let me quickly go through this. Uh, it, has been, it has always been God's intention to reveal himself. He has now revealed himself through the gospel. Through the substitutionary death of Christ, he has revealed his great love for us. But through eternity, it has always been his intention to reveal himself to his creatures, to human beings, because he loves us. He desires a relationship for us. Psalms 19, verse 1 through 4, the scriptures tell us this. And this, I believe, was there even before man was created. The scriptures say, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has always been trying to speak, but when man sinned, it necessitated, it necessitated him to send specific revelation to man. So what does God do? We see God even on the day that Adam had sinned in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9. God comes to him, calling unto him, saying, Adam, Adam, where are you? He's in hiding. God calling out. God taking the initiative. Our God is a God that takes the initiative to build a relationship. The gospel is God's. He, he's the one that loved us. He's the one that took the relationship. While we were yet sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for us. He's a God that takes the initiative in reaching out to us. What can we do in response to such kind of a God? We need to love him. We need to participate with him, with him in this great work. Scriptures continue to tell us that on that very day, God sacrificed an animal. And I believe it was in his intention to begin to show man that there was a plan because he had told him, I'm going to put an enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And he had promised the seed of the woman would, would crush the serpent's head. And then God, God do, he kills an animal and he covers the nakedness of Adam and Eve. Then in Genesis chapter 12, we see God taking the initiative, reaching out to a man who lived in a city that worshipped idols. The man's name was Abram and God calls him, tells him, get out, get out of your comfort zone. Come follow me. God takes him to a, to a strange place, to a place he had not known. 
Could God be speaking to someone here? Could God be willing to stretch you? Could God be calling you to get out of your comfort zone? Listen to me, church. God calls this man and stretches him. He tells him now, sacrifice your son. Sacrifice your only son. And Abraham does. He's willing to obey. And God, then we all know, God substitutes. He substitutes Isaac for a ram. So our God has always been painting the, how he's going to redeem man, how he's going to save man. It is through substitution. Through substitutionary death of another to atone for the sins of another. So that day, Isaac is spared. And then God promises that because Abraham has obeyed God, God promises that he is going to impute righteousness to Abraham through faith. The Israelites probably didn't clearly look at see that. They didn't see that coming. So later when the children of Israel are called out of Egypt, still God does something. He tells them, you sacrifice animals. Sacrifice animals and shed the blood on the doorposts. And again we see a substitute dying in order to deliver another. It has always been God's plan. God's plan has always been there in scripture. We can see the symbolism there. We can see God had planned to save mankind through the substitutionary death of Christ. All these were precursors to the coming of Christ. All these were announcing that a greater one is coming. We continue to read in scripture and we see that uh, later, even on the day of atonement, something very, oh, very, something very powerful did happen. Aaron the high priest was told that on the day of atonement, Leviticus chapter 16, he had to bring two goats one goat was to be a sacrificial goat, and he was to sacrifice that and shed the blood on the altar and on the tabernacle. And another goat was supposed to be a scapegoat. All that is a precursor to the coming of Christ. Christ was going to be both the substitutionary goat and the scapegoat and the high priest. God, Christ was to take on all three roles. He was to, be, to take over Aaron's role and to be both the sacrificial goat and the scapegoat. We see Christ being the high priest of our salvation. We see Christ actually, he's shedding his blood for us. We see Christ taking on our sins. That's why John the Baptist says, when he sees him from afar, he points him to the men of his generation. He points them to his disciples that behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Church, we have a responsibility before God to, to point Christ to others, to show others the way of salvation. There's an absolute necessity for us to declare the message. Church, God has, is inviting us to partner with him in the, great, in the greatest move on the planet. That is to participate with him in the work of rescuing the souls of men. Would you, like Isaiah, respond when heavens call and ask who will go for us and whom will I send, will you re respond in the affirmative and say, here I am, send me? Will you avail yourself to God's bidding? Will you allow to be that ambassador? Will you allow to be that person who is willing to open his mouth and share the gospel? The gospel 
is the power of God unto salvation. That's what Paul says. And he says that in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Let's pray. King of glory, heavenly Father, I just come before you. Praying and interceding for my brethren. Lord, I believe that you have called us at a time such as this for a purpose. You want us to reach our generation with the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. For the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We know very well that without Christ, men are eternally lost. Father, it is my prayer that we shall seize with both hands the challenge at hand, that we shall accept to take on this responsibility. Father, it's my prayer that we shall pray and seek you for creative ways in which we can share the gospel, in which we can be relational as we attempt to present this message that is confrontational. For you say that you did not come to bring peace. Lord, it's my prayer that we will not be too much concerned about fearing to offend men and at the risk of offending you. It's my prayer that you will give us boldness. I pray for boldness to come upon us. Boldness to come upon this group of believers. Boldness, Father, to share the message. Heavenly Father, give us wisdom. Give us boldness. Give us the ability to communicate with the men and women, with the boys and girls of our generation. This message, the eternal message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I just want to thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. We live in a divided world, but just like the Romans, we are called to unity in Christ as we live on mission in our daily lives. Let this message be an encouragement to you as you go into the spaces and places that God takes you this week. Until next time.